Good morning, church. It's great to uh, to be together this morning. Uh, so today, uh, I wanted to talk about a topic that I. I at least thought it was pretty interesting, otherwise I wouldn't be talking about it, right? Uh, and I thought that you might as well. And so the, the title of our, the topic of our sermon today is The Birth of Idols. The Birth of Idols. And really what we're going to be talking a little bit about is uh, things like, do other gods exist? Now, there's only one God, right? That's what Christianity teaches and believes. Uh, but there certainly have been other gods that nations have worshipped, that people have worshipped. You know, the Bible, the Bible mentions a few of them, just to name some. There's, there's Baal, there's Asherah, Molech. Uh, and so if they, if they do exist, what are they? If not... Where do they come from? And what does that have to do with you and I? Really, that's, that's the most important question, right? Because otherwise we're like, oh, this is interesting information, but I don't know how this applies to my life. And so if you could turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, I, I think it's, it's important for us, if, if we're going to be talking about this topic, because... Uh, I, I think we'll, we'll see that though we may not worship in the same way that people used to, uh, we can still have many idols in our life and in our heart. And it, it's good for us to understand, well, where did they come from? Where do they come from in our life? Uh, but before that, we do need to look at what sets God apart as the true God, as the one God. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 32. It says, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and live? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testing, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides Him, there is no other. From heaven, He made you hear His voice to discipline you. On earth, He showed you His great fire. And you heard His word from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt by, the, by his presence and his great strength. To drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you. And to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance. As it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day 
that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep His decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Now I think this is one of the... it's It's a great passage that kind of just summarizes a lot of who God is and what He's like. You know, I think, uh, this, well, not I think, this past week I was having a, a conversation um, with a, a guy at, at one of the colleges uh, about God and what, he was, what God is like. And he, uh, he, he comes and, and believes in, in kind of a, a pan, he has a pantheistic view of God. Alright, we're going to talk about what that is. It, it means that he kind of believes that all things are God. It's like he, God is in all things. Do we understand? Yes, we get. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure, you know. (laughs) Uh, And so he he sees this, and and so we're talking about God and what God is like, and we kind of hit this this point where he's he's trying to say, okay, but like what you believe is really similar to what I believe. And I said, well, okay, let let me let me let's let's talk about that for a second. I just want you to understand what, what Christianity teaches and believes is that there is one God, one true God, that He made everything, He made humans, but He is not the things that He has made. He is not the things that He has made. Now we are made in His image, we may reflect Him, but we are not Him. And so this is kind of the first part where we start talking, we talk a little bit more about it, and then I, you know, then we move on and I say, but here's another thing. What separates the God of the Bible from every other God is that He is a God who actually cares about His creation. I mean, look at what it says here in this passage. It says that God takes a personal interest in us because He does things like... What did he do? He says, he, 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 he did in Israel and called them to him by testing. God draws us to him through to moments when our faith is tested. He calls us so that we have a deeper relationship with him, so that we know him more. He performs signs and wonders. Now we may not see miracles, in, in, or at least in an everyday aspect in our lives, uh, as, as we might picture but all of us, or, or many of us, especially those who have, who have made the decision to follow Jesus, have seen God work transformative wonders in our life and in our heart. And that regard, we can, we, we can look and clearly say, I know I do, wow, I did not know that I could be like this, that God could change me, that God could transform me. I mean, this is, these are the kind of things that people dream about. That we could become something new, someone new in Jesus by war. Isn't it, isn't it true that when we're in the midst of the biggest conflicts of our life, we see God's power working clearly? Because it's only when you feel scared, when you feel afraid, when you feel like something is out to get you, like you could die... That you, that, that you know, okay, wow, God has protected me. God has, has seen me through this. 
I know, Jim, one of the things that Jim always shares, uh, and this is, I don't know if I, yeah, I, I'll just share it anyway. Um, <laughs> is, so he always talks about how um, when he goes on hikes, he likes to pick really, really difficult hikes. Now, I know some of you might be really glad after me saying that, that you're here and not at the men's retreat, but they're awesome. They really are. Don't tell him I said that, though, because um, I always give him a hard time about trying to, trying to make me go on them with him. But, uh, so, yeah, he was, there's, there's nothing that bonds people more than when you feel like you're going to die and then you don't. And then you don't. <laughs> There's nothing more. There's nothing that bonds people more. And I think it's kind of true. It's kind of true. You think about the camaraderie that even people that that have served in the military, that they have with one another. There's a closeness. There's a bond. And so when you go through the trials of life together, you feel connected. You feel bonded. And in the same way, God is trying to bond us to Him. The next it says, by delivering us. God takes a personal interest in after He leads us to these troubles, He frees us from them. He cares for us. And He shows His great and awesome deeds. God spoke to Israel, to the nation of Israel, just as He has given us His Word. We have the Scriptures that we can look at. He loves us. His presence is close to us. He rescues us, and it says that He provides us with an inheritance. Now this is so different than a distant God that people reach for, that they feel like they have to earn and be worthy to worship them. We serve a God that cares for us, that wants to know us as small as we are. And I think this is a hard thing for non-Christians to understand and believe. If God is really so great and massive and powerful, why would He care about me? Why would He want anything to do with me? And on the other side of things, I know many Christians that have those same thoughts, that struggle with that idea. And this is, this is I think, one of the most powerful and confusing aspects of the Gospel. I don't get it. I don't know why, other than He is a Father to us. That He cares for us and wants a relationship with us. And what's repeated throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, is that there, that there is no one like our God. And so if we're talking about idols in the sense that, that there is, let's say, that, that there are other quote-unquote gods, then we would have to say, no. There is only one God because there is no one that is even remotely like Him. Now I think on the other side of things though, it's not hard, to, it's not hard for us to conceptualize. Those of us that, that believe some of the things in the scriptures where it talks about even things like angels or spirits or demons or things of that, that regard. Okay, is there something beyond the physical world? Well, I don't know if that's a far stretch for someone who believes in an afterlife, right? That there's something more going on than what we just see. And so could these things be, the, could, could these idols that people worship, could they be that? Could they be some other spiritual being, a demon, or just a construct of our imagination? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. But how do you get 
from knowing a God like this. Because this was, this was Israel's trap. They knew that this, all of these things that, that, that were true, that we just talked about, about God, that they were true. Because they saw God work clearly in their life. So how did they get from worshiping the one true God to choosing to worship idols? Because that, that's the same struggle, the same challenge that many of us go through. How do we get from knowing that there is one God who sent His Son to die for us on the cross... To deciding all of a sudden, oh, I don't know, I think I'm going to go and pursue something else. To go after something else. I think the answer to that is in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 21 to 23. Because God, is, is as He says at the end of the, that passage there in Deuteronomy, He gives us these commands... Because He wants good for our lives. He wants to see good things happen, come to us. And He knows that when we follow His ways, that is the outcome. Now, I'm not saying we'll be free of trial and struggle and pain. But we know that God will see us through it all. Because we'll be clinging to Him. He is our refuge, our protector in times of trouble. And so in Romans, Paul is talking to the church in Rome. Right? And, and he says to them, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. I think we've seen this be true throughout history. Let's think about, about Greek mythology, for example. What were Greek gods? They were basically super powerful humans who were not afraid to throw temper tantrums from time to time. Right? I mean, you think about Zeus. He's, he's this, 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 this man who's, who holds and can control the lightning and throws it as he sees fit. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of people view God. Right? As the lightning bolt throwing judgment God. And he, he of course, God is, is master of all things. And so, yes, he can control the lightning. Um, but none of us, at least I hope, none of us has been struck by lightning before. So that is a very good thing, right? God is merciful. He loves us. He cares for us. Uh, we also see things like the Egyptian gods. Right? The god of the sun, Ra, had a bird-like form. Anubis, we have, the, we have these gods of, of the dead. The Anubis looks like, like a dog. And so they're worshipping images based on created things rather than the Creator. And so what happens with idolatry, and this is, a, this is a big thing, idolatry dethrones God and enthrones creation. It takes God out of His proper place and puts something that He made instead on the throne. Now, that, that's really kind of ridiculous. Because we are created as well. And so why would we as created things choose to worship something else that is barely a step above us? 
God is the only one who is outside of creation, outside of time. He sits above it all. But we as people, since we're made in God's image, like to try to decide what is good and what is evil and what deserves praise and what does not. Now, I'm going to use a little bit of a different definition of of praise here in in a second. But really what, what we're talking about is idolatry for us. It happens when we make our ideas, our opinions, our concepts the standard for our life instead of what God has set and taught them to be. Really, what, what, what idolatry is, is the pride of humanity. To say, we know what God is and what He should be, instead of listening to what He says. It's a failure to honor Him above all things. I think that's, that's what's cool about, about what we've been talking about. All of, these, all, all of, of what we're going to talk about in a second is meant to draw us to something about God. To understand something about God, but not for us to worship it instead. God is like, He's like a magnet, right? You know how like magnets work? They, they just pull things into them. God is holy, He's righteous, and so He's just trying to draw us to Him. We are connected because of that. Because all things are supposed to praise Him and give Him glory. And so these, these idols, where do they come from? What makes them? I think we're going to see ourselves very clearly in a second. Because we create idols, and I'm going to give four categories here, of things that entice us, things that we fear, things that we put our trust in, and things that we need. Let's break that down for, for a little bit. Things that entice us. You think about throughout history, if even if you, you go outside, you look at some of the most beautiful landscapes, sunsets, animals that are, that are out there. I mean, how many of you like to like just go outside and stare at the stars? Why? Because they're gorgeous. It just makes you feel like you're so small and that the world and the universe is so vast and it, it draws you in. And so we look at that and, and you think about people have worshipped things like the stars for a very, very long time. Right? We even have this idea of astrology. That, that you can look at the stars and you can know what's going to happen in your life. That it, that, it just, that it tells everything. And stars are massive and beautiful and powerful. But what they should cause us to reflect on is how much more powerful the God that made them is. How we serve a God that could even conceptualize something so beautiful. How many of us worship beauty? Because that's really what, what this, this thing that entices us is, is all about. Whether we worship beauty and and that we care so much about how we look and how other people perceive us, or we just decide that, okay, we're out there and and for us, just spending time in nature is the thing that, that is worship in and of itself, not the thing that draws us and calls us to reflect on, on God. Because that's a very easy thing to do. How many people, in hopes 
of just trying to feel beautiful, try to connect themselves or attach themselves or pursue someone that they perceive to be beautiful. And so that's where idols come from in one respect. Things that we fear. What do people fear? People fear things like death. Water. They fear the the ocean. The seas. People fear fire. And rightly so in some respect, right? There's a lot of things that that come from that that are are, are terrifying. You know, I know know when I was uh, much younger... Okay, this this part hasn't gone away. I am totally afraid of snakes. Hate them. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't trust them. I feel like every time I'm even remotely close to one, it's going to bite me. Uh, and I am going to die. Like, that's, like, it's, it's really, really bad. I actually, when I get it, this is super embarrassing. When I get in my car, I even look down at the placemat to make sure that there are no snakes there from where I'm sitting. Because I read an article once about a guy who was driving, and there was a cobra in his car. <laughs> On the bottom part of the seat. Right? I know. Now you all are going to be, once you get in your car today, checking beneath your seat. It's a scary thing, right? It's a reality. And so when I was younger, as I had this fear, I thought, man, you know, I, and, and I don't know, this is something that I think a lot of guys do. You, you, you think about, what superpower would I want? Or if I could control an animal, what animal would I want to control? You know, just, just like have this, this connection bond. And I thought, man, I fear snakes. I might as well be like master over them or lord over them. So that way, like, they won't attack me. Uh, and, and so, you know, you have this, this idea of, oh man, I'm so afraid of this. But people have been doing this for a very long time. They worship the things that they fear. I mean, we do that. Every time that we do not trust God, that He can protect us, that He can save us from death, from the sea, from fire, or snakes, right? It's our way of saying, God, I'm more afraid of creation than I am in awe of your ability to protect me from it. And so idolatry, born from things that we fear, Things that we trust. People. How many of us put our relationships with one another or with other people above their relationship with God? We run, whenever we're in trouble, we run to them to be the one to fix our problems. We run to them to be the ones who who really care, uh, who, who, who will protect us, who will fill the loneliness, the void that we have in our heart. But really we know that no man can do that. No woman can do that. Only God can fill that part of us. Or we trust in systems. We think, well, if if, if the system works, right? If I just do this and this and this, then I will have this result. When doing what other people do may not be godly. It may not follow in God's plan. And so we create idols when we trust in things more than we trust in God's ways and His plan. And the last, there's things that we run after that we need. Like food, drink, shelter. Right? How many of us, oh, I just need to do this. Whenever we worry about money, whenever we worry about uh, how, how, how 
I'm going to just to, to find something to eat or do this instead of trusting. And, 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 that's, and that's not to say that we don't work hard. Right? That's not to say that we don't search for work and work and do those things. But whenever we, we, we worry about them to the point that we don't believe that God is going to take care of us, we again, we put creation in a place above God. Because we should know that if He made all of this, He can take care of all of this. Because if He made all of this, right? He can take care of all of this. Right? You know, because when I look at this, what do I see? I see that when I do this and when we do this, really we're just grasping at straws, trying to make sense of the world around us and to control it. To find a place where we belong in all of it, where we really belong is in the place that God has made us as servants of Him instead of servants of ourselves. You know, these gods that we just spoke about, they're gods that we create in our mind, that we worship, that we run to. And they are no different, right? They are no different than we are. They are just a piece of creation and not the Creator itself. Our allegiance should be to Him. Now, I know sometimes for me, I, I don't want to let go of some of these idols. I want to hold to them because sometimes it's easier to worry than it is to trust God. And then we sit there and someone tries to have a conversation with us. And we start arguing back and forth with them. No, no, you don't understand. I need this. What, what do you mean you need to worry? What, why? Why? And we start arguing back and forth. And I start thinking, man, if an idol, like, wait, wait, this doesn't make sense. Why would I, as a person, need to defend an idol? Or why would I need to defend, like, if I need to defend something, then it's not God. Like, God can defend himself, and he shows it over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. But if I actually have to sit there and say, okay, and justify why I'm acting the way that I'm acting, instead of trusting that God is going to take care of it, then we know, whoa, wow, that might be a sign for me to look that there might be so that there's some idolatry going on in my heart. Defensiveness. Defensiveness is a good sign that you should be looking for idols. Now as we close out, I want us to, to reflect uh, really on, on another scripture. Because I think that this passage in, in Job 31 uh, is, is beautiful. It, it says a lot about uh, who God is and really what our perspective towards life, towards idols, towards God should be. And I want us to think, as we read this, could I make this pledge? What, what, what could, what could, what do I need to really go to God and wrestle with and surrender to Him so that I can? So that I can put my complete trust in Him. Because we're not talking about perfection here, right? There's always going to be momentary times where we, where we say, Oh, I, God, I don't trust you. I'm afraid. Where we get off track, where we don't notice it. But when we do realize that that's what we're doing, right? What is our response? Do we turn to God and say, Okay, I trust you. 
I'm going to fight to put my hope in you and believe that you are there. So Job 31, it says, If I have put my trust, this is in verse 24, If I have put my trust in gold or set to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune of my hands have gained. If I have regarded the sun in its radiance, or the moon moving in splendor, so that my heart was secretly enticed, and my hand offered them a kiss of homage, then these also would be sins to be judged for. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. I think that says a lot about Job's heart. He says, God, and, and he just goes before him and says, God, if I've done this, if I've wronged you, if, I've, if my heart has been enticed to worship something other than you, then judge me for it. What you see there is a heart of someone just wanting to take complete responsibility. And we know that God does not judge us as we, as we deserve. He is merciful. And so what we find that when we bring these things into the light, we'll find rest and peace and hope because it will allow us to trust in Him in ways that we never have before. So what is it for you? Are your idols the things that entice you, the things you fear, the things you trust, or the things you need? Because we know that there is only one God, one true God, who loves us, who cares about us, who would do anything for us because He is a good Father. And so we can rest easy knowing that there is no one like Him. You've just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycococ.net.